You are now checked in to Stand Up New York Labs. Oh, yeah. I'm on size nothing and back to talk. R.I.R. badges and their protest wall. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Free Speech. We're here at Stand Up Labs, New York. And we're here with uh, an ex-boyfriend of mine, uh, Gabe Fowler, the proprietor of the Desert Island Comic Book Store. We've got some pictures uh, behind us of his beautiful store where he left the Sicilian Bread French Soup Company. What's that on the What's on the sign that you didn't take down? It's an old bakery sign. That's cool. I like that you left it up there. Well, the landlord likes it. It doesn't matter what I like. <laughs> oh, really? It's not up to you. But I do like it. He said, I'm not going to let you stay at this store unless you have this fucking bread thing stay there. That guy's dead. It's oh. a Chinese guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, this is a unique show. We're going to be talking about comic books the whole time. And no, that does not mean superhero stuff. We will get to that differentiation. But if you're just listening to the audio, you better know your fucking comic books because there's going to be a lot of names here and a lot of discussing art that you will not be able to see. So out of all the podcasts, uh, I strongly recommend you suffer through the ads on Daily Motion to get the full grasp of this particular episode. Um, Gabe, why don't we start out with explaining to people the difference between superhero action comics and real comics. <laughs> well, that's your distinction. I don't know. We should also clarify that Gabe's runs a store that sells both, so he will be lying half the time <laughs> to maintain his customer base. And you'll have to look him in the eyes and see deep down how much he resents being having comics compared to superhero. I don't even think they're the same genre. Like the same art form. Graphic novels, and, and I'm including fiction and auto-bio in there, alternative comics, and superhero comics are, n they're not even both music, the way like metal and punk are music. They're totally separate art forms. Yeah, I'll go along with that. Well, you're skipping right to the superhero thing. Yeah. Which was a later innovation in comics history, you know? Oh, good point. Well, that's a crucial detail right there. Back in the olden days, the, there was no, the, there was no genre barriers like that it, superhero the superhero thing came to light eventually it was like post-world war ii jews like, wanted to make superman right well there's that but i mean it's like when you talk about blues music when the music was being made the people making it didn't call it blues right right it was called the blues later so superhero comics were singled out as superhero comics a little bit after their advent, you know? They're like a bastardization of the art form. <laughs> An abomination. <laughs> and I'm so embarrassed for these people when I see them on the train, these grown men wearing Spider-Man hats and Batman shirts and reading comic books like they're not embarrassing. And they, I tell them that I'm into graphic novels and they think we're allies and I go, no, 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 no. I'm into art. You're not embarrassed to be into graphic novels? No, it's totally, totally you different. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. No, this is an esoteric <laughs> art form that combines storytelling and drawing. Uh, superhero comics are for ugly losers to pretend that they're somebodies. The very earliest superhero comics to me are interesting because they have a spark of imagination. There's ideas in there. There's content to it. Before yeah. it settles into a genre that just sort of repeats itself. Well, this is where we differ. You seem to enjoy the fantasy aspect of comics more than the autobiorealism. Yeah. And I think, I, I don't read fiction at all. 
And I prefer true stories because when you're done, you're farther ahead. You've learned a thing that really happened. Like when Roz Chast is saying, can we talk about something more pleasant? We're watching her parents die of old age. I feel like I've experienced that now. When you have someone like, uh, what's his name, Andres Nilsson, take me to some disembodied shape in the sky, I'm like, why am I wasting your time? Why am I wasting my time in your imagination? I like that, but, you know, to each his own. I don't want to end on that. I want us to resolve this. This isn't like music where it's open to opinion. There is a quantifiable good-bad in the world of what they now call graphic fiction. Well, Anders Nilsson is interested in the art of drawing and uses comics to hang that on. Correct. So I'm interested in that. Sure. Well, I put him, I've been uh, working on a list here of the best cartoonists in the world, and I found a new category organically evolved called graphic storytellers. And I don't think they belong. Did you name that? With, I did indeed. Like Dylan Horrocks. Can we pull up Dylan Horrocks? D-Y-L-A-N-H-O-R-R-O-C-K-S. He's a Kiwi. He's a Kiwi, and that's evident in his sort of ethereal, spread out prose. Uh, he is a graphic storyteller, but I feel weird putting him in with someone like Peter Bagg because he's just a very good artist who slowly describes pastoral scenes, but I feel like comic books have a pal zap punch to them that should be exciting. Like you, you the still have to come back. fantasy comics that you don't like have that. What? Pardon? The fantasy comics that you said you don't like have the pow zap thing. Yeah, well, they've they've taken it to a place where it no longer has anything to do with a story. Uh huh. It's like punk rock. There's a plot to it, and it's got the guitar stand, and it kicks you in the ass. Real alternative comics are like good punk rock. This Dylan Horrocks. I never want to see the face of the guy. By the way, I don't care what they look like. Dylan Horrocks is like Godspeed, you Black Emperor. Or uh, one of these sort of... It's Moody. Moody. And the same goes with Sammy Harkham. Can we pull him up? I'm, I'm saying the names phonetically here so it'll be easier for our friends to Google. Sometimes these comics are indecipherable, by the way. Which ones? Sammy Harkham and... You got the thing right behind me so I can't see it, you know. Okay, well, him and then Kevin Huizenga. <laughs> H-U-I... I, I won't correct you, I guess. No, because we're aiding the guy. And the people at home, if they're looking these people up, they want to be phonetic. You want it to be Googleable. Googleable. Yeah. How do you pronounce his name? You're cl Hizenga. Hizenga. Yeah. Japanese guy? No. St. Louis. Oh, really? Yeah. Weird last name. Okay, so those three, Dylan Horrocks, Sammy Harkham, Kevin Hizenga, they all, I consider them graphic storytellers, and I love their work, by the way. Reading that, like in the bath, which I've never done, <laughs> seems like a beautiful way to relax and really enjoy the art form. It helps if you're nude. It does help if you're nude. They're often nude. <laughs> but I almost, you know what I'm going to do, actually, Gabe? I just thought, while I was describing this, someone just got pulled out of the top 20 list, Chris Ware. I am pulling him out. And right I'm, now. Right now. And I'm putting it's him, happening live, folks. I'm putting him into graphic storytellers. What do you make of that? Well, what list are you taking him out of? Best cartoonist in the world. So a cartoonist and a graphic storyteller are different. That's vocations. what I'm trying to get at. Just All like right. you know, I was in punk bands. That's with, a little hair splitting, but it is. But don't you feel weird having having uh, Anders Nilsson in best cartoonist in the world? Nope. Really. 
you know, it's a real punk rock thing for, you know, you, you, growing up, I thought that all the guys in these great punk rock bands were going to be best friends and go to the park together. But actually, they hate each other and they got in fistfights <laughs> and they can't stand to be in the same room or breathe the same air. Yes, and they think they're all totally different from each Any other. Any sort of microculture has this problem. Right, right. Well, I guess I'm going with this feeling I get when I see these guys in that list. Like, don't you think it's weird to... Because con- I have another category here called uh, talented artists. Like Jim Woodring. Can we pull up Jim Woodring? Is, Personal favorite. He is wonderful. Incredibly gifted. But I feel like when we add all that fantasy in, we start diluting the definition until it's just sort of art. Wood ring. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got... Like, you, look at that. You've got music, and then you've got whatever kind of music you like. Experimental music. But I'm saying, if we're talking about comics, it's Louie Louie. It's the Kingsman. That's a, that's a type of music. That's the best song in the world, and that is truest to the art form. Huh. It's the best rock song in the world because it's the purest rock song in the world. Okay, well, rock music. Okay, so let's get to our list, shall we? So this is the best cartoonists in the world, starting at number one. Your list, by the way. Nope, this is not. I happen to. You're saying this is the list, but you made it. Right, and okay, it was almost well, like I was touched by God <laughs> when I made this list, so don't kill the messenger. All right. This, I happen to like a lot of these people, and I happen to pretty much agree with it, but this just came through me like Jesus Christ. So you were molested by God, basically, is what you're saying? No, he didn't touch my, any of my areas. <laughs> it went down here to the fingertips and typed. All right, go. Okay, Peter Bag. Number one. Number one. All right. Because storytelling is a huge aspect of this. Every other comic fan says it's Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby did superhero comics. I'm just throwing that in there. I'm not saying that, you know. We're not including anything remotely superhero in the You're not interested in consensus. That's correct. The consensus of comics fans. The consensus in Germany in 1942 was that all the Jews must die. All right. Peter Bag, so why do you like him? You could win in Russia if you had a platform of anti-Semitism today. You'd probably win, uh, you know, your seat in parliament in Russia today. All right, reel that back in. Okay. Peter Bag is one of the greatest writers in comics for sure. Wow, so you don't think he can draw. Reset's a bad example. That's terrible. I think Let's his drawings hate. are serviceable. Serviceable? Yeah. No, 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 no. Serviceable is... First a, of all, I'm his biggest fan. I love it. So I should say that. Serviceable is one of my favorites, and he's way down on the list. He's a Canadian guy who's often compared to, um, to Robert Crumb. What's his name again? David Collier. David Collier. Can There's, you pull up David Collier? Notice how I just guessed that? Yeah, that was impressive. Um, <laughs> you're saying that he's serviceable? Yes. All right. He lacks heart. He does he, a good job of okay, representing... Okay, he's mannerist. The, what is we're, that? We're mean? going wide right at the beginning. I know. We'll, we'll re- rein it in. Don't worry. All right. But to me, there's... It's, it's mannerist just, means he's making comics in the manner of Robert Crumb. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, that's an art term. Okay. He's not inventive. Yes. You don't think Peter Bag is inventive? Yes, he is. But what your earlier quote, if we can go back to Peter Bag and hate, your earlier quote seemed to imply that he just needed the pictures to get the job done, but it was really yeah, about I think the that's story. Right. 
I think that's but right. But what about the eyeballs going boing and the huge bendy legs? He's what got me into comics. That's, you know, that's Ratfink, man. That's He didn't invent boingy eyes or whatever. No, but have you ever seen legs more rubbery than, than Peter Baggs? I mean, that's a particularly unrubbery page. This is... Uh, this is more his uh, reason reporting, where he's talking about the origins of uh, Ayn Rand and uh, and Planned Parenthood and stuff. And that is another that I find much more enjoyable because it's true stories. But that is just don't you get this feeling when there's a new Peter Bag you haven't seen and you're just like I don't even want to read this because I don't want it to end. Yeah, that's a good feeling. It's like The Sopranos. You you, you would put your uh, a business card over the. VCR or the DVR because you didn't want to know that it was going to be over in exactly 17 minutes. Huh. I feel that way about Peter Bag, and I would have felt that way about Robert Crumb, and he would be in the number one spot. But when you think of the whole body of work, Robert Crumb's got a lot of time-wasting shit in there. Well, can we talk about why Crumb's important? Yes. I, th- I think he's number one. And it's not even because I'm a fan of his work, but I am. Mm-hmm. Crumb's important because he's the guy that cracked open the id for comics. Yes. And everything that came after that, no matter what type of comic it is, deals in that. That's very true. We wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation if it wasn't for Crumb. I mean, he really started alternative comics. Comics go way back. They go back to Napoleon in France, and they, they would make a drawing of Napoleon and have some insulting word balloon. Uh, but that was comic strips. And I feel like uh, Crumb was the first one to take the format, which was used for Tom and Jerry type stuff, and say, I'm going to take this freaky satire, add some realism, and make alternative comics. Crumb really, I mean, he's the first person to allow his darkest desires and interests to be in the comic. Right. Prior to that, it was all repression or story crafting or, you know, stiff. Yes, so that door can never be closed again, you know? It's just a real change. That's so true. And when he is good like this, like Cave Wimp, or uh, when niggers rule the world, or when the goddamn Jews rule the world, you don't. those are hard to find these days. No, they're in print. I know, but it's, it's not easy to locate. That, that, that caused a huge controversy, even though they were a parody of racism and anti-Semitism. But people don't get it today. You couldn't print that today. It is literally printed today. Besides that, though, <laughs> I'm right. I think that it's become... The door has gotten even more widely open. Oh, really? You think com- sure. political correctness hasn't infected comedy yet? I mean, uh, comic books yet? Uh, maybe it affects it, but that's a person-to-person art-making decision. No, but you're right in that when you think of the PC war, it's, it's, it's a virus that has infected comedy, stand-up comedy... Jerry Seinfeld's talking recently about he can't do colleges anymore. Uh, David Tell says stand-up is dead. It's affected music. Metal bands are getting in shit. Bands like Black Pussy are getting in shit. Gaming has been infected with it. But when I think of alternative comics, I, don't, I can't really see an example of a huge backlash. Well, any independent creative person, whether it's music or art or what have you, every single one of those people wants to get in trouble. You think so? Yes. It's free publicity since the 60s. You think Peter Bagg would like it if there was a protest outside his door with social justice warriors screaming? He wouldn't enjoy the experience, but he would enjoy the increased PR and exposure to his artwork that everyone would have as a result of that experience. Yeah, I I, I could agree with that. Some people go looking for that. 
Now, some people get it when they're not looking for it. Crumb has definitely received it over the years. He was not looking for it. No, he's not big on conflict. And he, yeah, he's conflict averse. So <laughs> being on the receiving end of people being upset about his work, he thinks that that's He abhorrent. moved to France. He moved to France. <laughs> um, the, the reason I put Robert Crumb at number two and not number one is shit like Aileen Kalinsky, his st- shitty artist wife, diluting the product, uh, a lot of just garbage in there. When I think of Peter Bag, I'm a fan of her. I like There's her. only Workaholics and Reset that tarnished his legacy. And Reset's not that bad. Workaholics, really. And that wasn't the end of the world. It's still this really fun, pure Louie Louie comic. Workaholics is a TV show. What are you talking about? No, he did a, a, he did a series for DC. Sweatshop. Sweatshop, sorry. Yeah. Sweatshop. So you're saying that, you know, artists are born with a 100 percentile rating, and as they make an imperfect work, it takes them down a peg. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's an interesting worldview you have there. <laughs> well, <laughs> if uh, your favorite band did a bunch of sellout Mickey Mouse songs towards the end of their career, that tarnishes the whole band when you're putting them in the chart of best band ever. But I don't think they started 100. I think they started zero. Okay. Well, Robert started Every project zero, is an opportunity. Went up and up and up and then just sort of went sideways where Peter Bag has just been going bang, bang, bang. And that brings us to number three, Dan Klaus. So batting average is what it basically is. Yes. All right. Yes. Dan Klaus. Um, Two straight dudes talking about baseball. That's you and me right now? Yeah. Yeah? I don't know, man. You don't like it? You want to go? <laughs> the world's bigger than that, you know? It's not baseball. Yes, it is. That's what it, my whole point is to get you to admit that there is a method to the madness. <laughs> I like the madness part. Like put up, put up That's art why school. comics are good. You can do whatever you want, man. Yeah, well, sometimes when open. you do whatever you want, you bore us to tears. Like Drawings and... Kim Deitch. Kim Deitch is a waste of my time. Uh, and I'm going to oh, pull them it. out of the... I'm pulling them out of the list right now. Can you find Kim Deitch? D-E-I-T-C-H? Deitch's favorite is Crumb. So he comes in the footsteps of Crumb. He's a hippie cartoonist. Yeah. His, his drawings are jarring. They're That's like, good. You want to get jarred, don't you? No, I don't. You like punk rock, but you don't want to be jarred by a drawing. Look at that page behind you. It's a mess. It's a sharp mess. I feel like I'm picking up. I gotta go one eighty to even look at this. Can you zoom in on that? Look at those. Just that all that superfluous ink. God, it's like a fucking. This guy used to make psychedelic posters, man. Yeah. What do you expect? He's out. There's no question. No, I love it. And you know who else I'm going to pull out? I wonder how you feel about this. Because I don't. Did you ever look at a psychedelic poster and you thought, "Gee, if this was only a story instead of a bunch of names of bands, we'd really have something." Yeah, that's Kim Deitch. No, I, he I did. He did that. No I, one else I did look that. At a, I look at a psychedelic poster and I go, "Thank God this guy isn't a cartoonist." <laughs> what about Tony Millionaire? Can you bring up Tony Millionaire? That's another guy I hate. Man, you're spazzing on me. <laughs> you don't want to talk about Kim Deitch? We can talk about Kim Deitch as I remove him from my list and put him in the nose. I don't know, man. I mean, that's obviously a beautiful drawing, but his yeah. whole go back and find his stupid drunk bird and everything. Oh, yeah. I thought you had a list here of comic cartoonists that you liked. I do. We're going off tangents here. All right. And I'm removing people as we discuss things. Well, so Tony Millionaire was on your list and you took him off yes. just now. Yes. Why did he go on the list in the first place? Because he's accomplished a lot. Okay, so batting average. Batting average. And so your personal taste is now you're like, you don't care about baseball anymore. I really think I can be unbiased here. 
<laughs> I don't know how that's a bad comic strip, but I do. Tony Millionaire is a guy that if he could do whatever he wanted, he'd be drinking a can of Budweiser and doing some scrimshaw. Okay? Oh, so I was right. His heart isn't in it. I see. I sensed that. You call it bias. I can smell a I lack of enthusiasm. Fine. No, that's that's a, he invented a, a micro genre of comics making. Ap- apathetic comics making. He doesn't care about a story at all. Yeah, exactly. He, okay, you know, good to see you off the list, Tony. Have fun. I he's on my list for the reason I'm telling you. Yeah, whatever. We'll see what you say after the cameras are off. So we got Peter Bag, Robert Crumb, Dan Klaus's three. Now, here's one I feel weird about being in number four. I didn't come here to bullshit you. The camera doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Just kidding. Ivan Brunetti I have at number four. All right. Agreed? Brunetti is is important to me, but it's only for like three things. Schizo? He's all over the map. Yes. So I don't really understand why he's doing that. It seems like he's grasping at straws a little bit. That's interesting. You know? Well, he's kind of so over-prepared and over-intellectual. He's been teaching too long. Yeah, that's probably it. But even Schizo started before he was a teacher, wasn't it? Remember, he was married at the beginning of, the, of those comics. Biff Bang Pow. <laughs> yeah. You, you ever got... look at that? No. It looks like a Sky album. Oh, yeah? That's his first comic? Yeah, that's the gnarly, embarrassing early stuff. You oh, know? really? Yeah. Like Chris Ware has that with his superhero days. Same moment in time. And they're both deeply ashamed. Yeah, they've neither of them want to see that material, you know? <laughs> well, I think Ivan Bernetti's greatest feature is his incredible range. From Charlie Brown, perfect um, recreations of Nancy and Sluggo, to the harshest... I have to hide those comics in my house, because if my kids ever see that, they'd have a nervous breakdown. I mean, look at a really bad day at work. Hi, honey, I'm home. Yeah, there you go. How was your day? Black! Daddy, please blam. <laughs> there, well, that's here, now. Here's the genius stuff, though, because it looks like the format of a Peanuts comic, or yes. and it's filled with dark matter. Yeah, that's Brunetti. That's what he has to offer. Yeah, it's the cultural bait and switch. I like that. I do a lot. I mean, doesn't have that much to sink your teeth into, though. I feel like after the the schizo anthology, you're you're kind of done. You can read his body of work in a couple hours. Yeah, but, you know, that's okay. Well, Robert Crumb, we're talking about this. Peter Bag, we're talking about this. Dan Klaus. Okay, here you go. Robert Crumb wants to be drawing something. Uh-huh. When he's awake, he wants to be... Dr- oh, the activity napkins. of drawing. Yep. Bernetti is not that guy. Well, that's what I just kicked Tony Millionaire out for. Tony Millionaire is closer to Crumb. Yeah. This is... This, okay. Chris Burden says that you've got Picasso guys and you've got Duchamp guys. Oh, I like that. A Picasso guy is someone who wants the activity. Enjoys the you process. You get up and you go over there and you start working. Right. You know, Robert Crumb's one of those guys. You know, Bernetti is more of a Duchamp guy. He has an idea and he's packaging his idea for you. Okay, I'm going to put P's and D's next to each of these people. Because we might start to see I think a this is here. useful. I like this. Okay, so Peter Bag is a Picasso guy. Yes. Uh, Robert Crumb is a Picasso guy. Mm-hmm. Dan Klaus? Well, he's interesting. I think you have to go Duchamp. I think I would agree. He's an idea packager. Yeah. I feel like he'd prefer to do movies than make comics. I think he would prefer to make the best package. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Well, when I saw, when I put him up in the top three, I'm thinking of Art School Confidential. And that to me is the most perfect comic I've ever seen. Maybe we could pull that up. The comic, not the movie. That's correct. Yeah. The movie sucked. I like that movie. I think it's underrated, but it's its, its own Ugh. flawed beast, you know? What a, it was just a giant tangent. But look at this perfect work of art. It, it brought in all the classic tropes of, of 50s comics, but had really crucial information about art school. In fact, that's where I learned that in the 50s and 60s, when you went to art school, they would teach you how to do photorealism so you could do a Harlequin romance cover. And then today, it's a tampon in a teacup. Sure. And once you learn that, you go, wait a minute, that's the same with all education. No matter how shitty, I bet poetry in the 1950s would teach you really handy things about poems. And now it's probably impossible to get an F. Well, Duchamp wins is what that says. Yeah. Okay. We got a D next to Clouds and we're putting a D next to Bernetti. Now here's one that's going to freak you out because it's in the one, two, three, four, five. Joe Matt. Okay. The reason I put him up so high is because I was thinking just purely out of the sheer joy of having it in your hand and reading it. You're talking about masturbating right now. <laughs> no? Yeah, that's a lot of his a lot of his article. A lot the of his sheer comes. joy of masturbating the to a Joe Matt comic. <laughs> well, he seems Can't to be, be beat. really disappointed in himself. <laughs> but I don't like Joe Matt. Like the person, and I don't think he likes him either. When you read these autobio comics, you want to strangle the fucking guy. Sure, but. I don't know, man. I, I, it's hard to think of a comic that's more fun. They're fun to read. Than Joe Matt fucking up his life, uh, ruining his relationships, just being a total cheap cocksucker. He definitely is his own worst enemy. Okay, I feel like we're never going to agree on numbers, so let's m focus on these P's and D's, and if something really angers you, we'll knock it out of the... Well, check this out. Joe Matt is a Picasso guy. No, wait. He's, he's a Duchamp guy trying to be Picasso. Yeah. He's an idea packaging guy that wishes he was Robert Crumb. Yeah. But he doesn't enjoy drawing. He hates it. Are you sure? No. <laughs> it just but that's seems the vibe that you way. get? You look at his art and it looks like he hates drawing it, you know? But it's so... If he loved drawing it, he'd keep making comics. Yeah, that's true. I mean, what do we have? He doesn't have? produce, you know? We have that one of his childhood recently, but that was years ago. The one where he's a little kid collecting. There's a brand new book that came out last week that has a little bit of new Joe Matt in it. It's like the Drawn and Quarterly 25th anniversary book. What was the one before that? The one where he's a little kid and he's collecting comics. Best friend. Uh, the most recent. Fairweather friend. Spent is the most recent Joe Matt book. Oh, really? That's after Fairweather friend? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Joe Matt. Look up Fairweather friend. Yeah, look at these fucking pages. I assume he uses a brush. That's what a lot of people don't realize when they see lines that are this perfect. Someone has got a sable hair brush that they are dipping in ink every, almost every stroke. He didn't do that error 101. I wish I knew the answer. I don't know what Joe Matt uses. He definitely uses a brush. Yeah? Yes. Look at the hair. All right. When lines start out that thin and get that fat that fast, it's a brush. Now, it might be a, one of these new stupid brush pens, but I doubt it. So... Are we putting I'm a, a, Picasso a guy, Duchamp so or a Picasso answer. next to this guy? I'm going to go P. He uses really? a brush. Yes, because I think you're going to notice that in a pattern with the Canadian, the famous Canadian trio of Joe, Matt, Chester, Brown, and Seth. They're all P's. I think Joe, Matt is technically accomplished, but it doesn't come easy. He's forcing it into existence. He's forcing it to look that way. You know? 
Yeah, I could live and with that. And that's why I think he's the Duchamp guy. All right, fine. We're changing the Because he's, he's fussing over it, you know? He's like, how do I make the best package for this fucked up that idea? That seems to be the culture up in Toronto with those three guys. I mean, uh, Seth will sell, he won't sell his inks, but he'll sell his pencils. But he goes, my pencils are exactly the same as my inks because I'm that fastidious about every single detail. Yeah. Well, you know, are we going to talk about Seth now? Uh, well, I had Joe, I had Chester Brown after Joe Matt. Okay. Chester Brown, let's put him up there. I mean, they're friends for a reason. Well, they sort of grew together. And if you look at Chester's early work when they would all hang out, it kind of sucks. Like, I remember seeing Chester Brown's early days back in the 90s and thinking, you can't draw. Like, there's some people you look at their drawings. For example, a guy I kicked off the list earlier who's fucking hilarious, uh, Sam Henderson. He can't draw and he never will be able to draw. He, it's not in his DNA. Now, I mean, he does draw. He's really funny. He's a writer who draws. And so, his bad drawings, I guess, are part of the joke. But I thought that with Chester Brown when I first saw him. I thought, you're too... It's like your fingers are too weak. <laughs> <laughs> he draws like a mosquito. He looks like a mosquito, you too. You imagery up now? No. Yeah, we've, been, we've had some Chester That's Browns That's good stuff up. right there, though. Oh, now it's wonderful. And the Bible stuff he's doing now? I mean, I guess he gave up on that whole idea of perfectly duplicating the Bible, maybe because Robert Crumb outdid him. But uh, I, I think he's inseparable from the other guys in that he's obsessed with the intricacies of the craft. Yeah. Picasso? He's also really known for like redrawing stuff and oh yeah, sort of obsessing over his own work and changing endings for things and stuff like that. Yeah, they're kind of the same guy. It's very uptight in a particular way. But the thing about Chester Brown and the reason that Seth is so low down, sorry, Seth, is that Chester and Joe are fun. And sometimes with Seth, I feel like he's showing me, you know, how boring someone's life is by just boring me to death. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to show you the prairies uh, and how tranquil it is in the prairies by showing you just sort of wheat for three pages. Seth wants to remake the world through comics into a world that he can live in. Yes. Because the world that he actually lives in, he hates it. Agreed. That's why he makes comics. And the world he wants to live in is Great Depression poverty. Yeah. 1921. Beautiful and sad. Beautiful and sad, precisely. That's so he mentally lives there. The reason Peter Bag is at the top here is because that's he's so fun, and I love that crazy world of fucking and sucking and explosions and bulging eyeballs. Definitely fun. Seth is a joy to read, but I almost... Uh-oh, I got some bad news for you, my friend. What happened? He's leaving the best cartoonists in the world. Who is? Seth. And he just got thrown into the graphic storytellers pile. Should yeah, I put I, Seth in all caps? You have some method going on over there, and I can't engage. I don't no, know. No, does Seth go in... When you write Seth, do you put that in all caps? No. Okay. Uh, before I abandon him here in graphic storytellers, we're giving him a P or a D? Huh. He does love the craft, and I th I keep going back to that. I, I think don't he's sell a Duchamp guy. The mo here's an interesting thing about him. So all of his uh, stuff takes place in a fictional town, Palookaville. Right. And he uh, literally has built that town out of like cardboard. Oh, really? So he uses it for reference if he needs to remember which building is next to what other building. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's not exactly fully formed. It's still you can tell it's cardboard. Right. But it's pretty nice. Well, I want to be crystal clear about this Picasso Duchamp thing because uh, 
That's I, tough to do. It's sounding smarter than I can handle. But when we say Picasso, we mean sloppy. I love it. I love getting my hands dirty. I want to be there. The process is fun. I, I, I'm prolific. Duchamp is like a clinical... Uh, it doesn't necessarily look clinical. Right. Can we pull up... Duchamp is a Sissy Napan pipe guy. What? Who's Duchamp? He, uh, his most famous piece is a urinal. Okay. He's not the guy... Who, who, are we talking about Marcel Duchamp? Yeah. He didn't do Sessi Nepan pipe? No. Okay. Let's pull up Marcel Duchamp so we see who that is. D-U-C-H-A-M-P. Come on, guys. Duchamp is important. He's probably the most important person to the contemporary art world. And the reason why is because he says the ideas drive the content. Okay. And he's a packaging guy. And he's a punk rock guy. He basically invented punk rock. He's a, right. He wants to, you know, uh, he showed this urinal in the context of a painting show, and there was an uproar about whether or not it should be included in an art show at all. Right. What is this doing here? Gotcha. He's the what is this doing here guy. He's the, he, Jeff Koons <laughs> got everything from him. Everybody. Everyone that's making fine art. Did he do any paintings? Let's see his paintings. Yeah, he, he's, he's an accomplished painter. New Descending a Staircase is his most famous painting. Okay. All right, so it's a little more angular and uh, realist than Picasso, I guess, but not this really. This looks stodgy now. This is like 1913 we're talking about. Gotcha. Revolutionary. Gotcha. Okay. But the, the aesthetic is not what's, what's revolutionary about Duchamp. It's the aims of the making of anything. We're going with the concept here, and the concept was... He's a packaging guy. He was all about idea, didn't really care what it looked like. What is the most disruptive thing I could do in this environment? Okay. Whereas... But Picasso was pretty disruptive, putting two eyes on one side of your face. Well, they both sort of come out of a cubist moment, so that's kind of interesting. But they but, have totally different reasons for making stuff. But let's like break it down to Picasso is art first, idea second. Duchamp is idea first, art second. Yes. Okay. All right. So we're putting a, a D next to Seth. Idea first. I would. Okay. Okay. Because okay. he's a world building guy. He's building this world. I mean, he literally did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's one that comes way off base. Uh, and we're at about 10 now. Guy Delisle. I th a favorite of yours? A favorite of mine. A favorite of mine, too. Because he sort of revolutionized the way reporting is done. He goes to Pyongyang. This is Guy Delisle is D-E-L-I-S-L-E. -S -S -E. He goes to North Korea, and they go, you can't take pictures. And if you t do take pictures, we're going to fuck up your host. So even if you sneak one, you're ruining someone's life. Maybe the, his comic did fuck up that host's life. They didn't like it. Oh, really? What do you North know Korea. about what happened there? I don't remember. But I know that the, like the, they were calling for it to be banned and stuff. Right. Yeah. So he, what no one thought of up there is that when I'm in North Korea, uh, my eyeballs are cameras because I'm a cartoonist. So he recorded all this and relayed it back. And... I think it is the most descriptive and uh, telling account of what it's like up there. Never been. Nor have I. <laughs> well. <laughs> but you hear reporters talking about it. You read articles about it. I mean, this we, he takes us to that museum in the book where we see this ridiculous oil painting of a, a soldier's foot crushing a North Korean soldier's head. And you go, wait, you're putting an oil painting in a museum like it's a photograph? And we're all supposed to be horrified by this thing you fucking drew? But isn't it weird that I'm putting him so high up when 
He's not really a cartoonist. He's an animator. Well, you're Canadian, so you got a lot of Canadians on this <laughs> list. So th there's a bias. Guy Delisle is a bumbling, goofy French Canadian guy. Have you met him? Yeah. Um, but that's also his persona in his comics. Right. Yeah. I think he's French France, but lives in Quebec. Okay. Anyways, st stupid detail. But he's, you know, he's he's a little bit oafish, a little bit silly. Yeah, he a, comes across like Monsieur Hulu in uh, in the comics. He just stumbles into these scenarios, basically. In okay. The, in the comics, he's a real. He has a naive viewpoint. Do you feel weird that I'm putting him at number seven? This is your list, man. You can do whatever you want. I know, but deep down, you know my list is true. And if I, I would not put him on my list at all. No. Well, now you're making me feel insecure. I have my own taste. No, we're getting away from that. All right, he's off the list. Oh, this list is not about taste. He just went down. Even though it is, though. And now I this feel this list is about your taste. I feel weird putting him in graphic storytellers. I'm just, I'm just gonna put him back, but put him a little lower down. I think that he's an important journalist. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Well, that brings us to Joe Sacco. An important journalist. I, Joe Sacco's artwork to me is more compelling visually. Yeah, but Joe Sacco can't draw kids. No one told him that kids have different sized heads. So <laughs> every time you see a kid, it's this weird little bowling ball head, this weird little cantaloupe of a head. And my I other think that's purposeful. He does weird proportion stuff. The way he draws himself is insane. He doesn't look like that. No, but it's at least in the same realm. Children don't have oranges for heads. <laughs> and the, my other beef with him was when he's doing that Sarajevo stuff and he's talking about that one guy with the long hair sure. and how he would move to the music. And you're like, dude, why don't you just suck his cock and get it over with? It's been four pages of this guy <laughs> dancing. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He's a romantic. He's definitely an idea first guy, though. Mm -hmm. So let's put Joe Sacco at seven. He just pushed out Guy There might Leo. be a third category here, which is journalism. I like the way you talk, my friend. Because journalism is apart from the concerns of the art world. Well, that gets weird with Peter Bag because some of his best work is his journalist work. That's a different brain. Uh, I'm uh, this look. Talking about all these seminal artists who changed the world is making me feel like a wild stallion running free. I'm putting <laughs> Peter Bag at the top of the best cartoonists of all time, and at the top of the journalism list. There you go. You can suck on that if you want. <laughs> and Guy Delisle is in there under journalism. And Joe Sacco is above Guy Delisle. So it goes Peter Bag, Joe... No, actually, Joe Sacco's... Wait, he almost died about 100 times. He's at the top of the journalism list. Then Peter Bag is number two. Uh, and number three is Guy Delisle, right? Let me just lay this out there. Okay, I'm ready. Art, encountering art... It's about learning about yourself, okay? Sold. So all this other stuff doesn't mean anything to me. All these categories? Well, I am an empiricist. You are. And I think all <laughs> of this stuff can be quantified. And we too often just go to, well, whatever you like, whatever I like. No. There's awards shows for a reason. Some things are better than others. Alternative comics are better than superhero comics. There are comics award shows. And they suck. You look at the, what are they, Harvey Picar Awards? No, no, sorry, uh, Harvey uh, Kurtzman Awards. There are Harvey Awards. The Harvey Awards, and that's from Harvey Kurtzman. Uh, I guess so. 
And uh, you look at these names. I don't pay much attention. Half of them are superhero. They're grim. It's really bad. Okay, so f- the new category you started is journalism, and I'm putting Joe Sacco, Peter Bag, and Guy Delisle in there, and they're all getting D's for Duchamp. Because by definition, if it's journalism, the idea is first. Well, I think that journalism lives in a different world than the art world. The Picasso-Duchamp dichotomy only works in the art world. Wow, this is revolutionary. You know so not only is journalism the first category to have a Peter Bag in it, a uh, same cartoonist twice, it's also the only category... To not get P's or D's. <laughs> Wait a minute. That means graphic yeah. storytellers, the PD is redundant too because they're all P's. Okay. I'm just putting that Tell me top. more about the graphic storyteller category though. Uh, okay. Raymond a- Briggs, I didn't know what to do with. Uh-huh. He, he look up Fungus the Bogeyman. Um, he did... Uh, Father Christmas. Mm-hmm. He did some beautiful work about his parents growing up. Uh, put in Raymond Briggs because that you're going to get people, yeah, other people drawing. B r i g g s. I call these picture stories. Picture stories. That's interesting. Yeah. Because he looks so weird in there. You know, you buy a Raymond Briggs book for your kid, so he can learn about Santa. He's no Peter Bag. I mean, he's more talented than Peter Bag in a lot of ways, but it just seems incongruous. So, but you think they're both comics? I think that is a comic book, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Is it an alternative comic? No, but it's not a superhero comic. I really don't know what to do with Raymond Briggs. I mean, he's one of the greatest cartoonists of all time, yet when I put him on this list of the greatest cartoonists of all time, he seems to stick out of the page. I mean, I feel like alternative has to have an element of rock and roll and drugs and danger and, you know, leather jackets. Oh, well, that's a music term. Alternative. Right. And it's very clear when it's a music term what And that's it means. from the MTV hair metal days. Right. So alternative to me means it's not what's on MTV in 1986. You know what I mean? Okay. Alternative implies that there's one channel that you're getting information from, such as MTV. Yes. Okay. That's fair. That's so fair. they won't let my band on MTV. It's, a, it's an alternative band. Right. Well, if you look at the sales of Batman and Chris Ware, it's going to be clear which one is not mainstream. There's a company that, that distributes the majority of comics that are found in comic book stores called uh, Diamond Comic Distributors. Right, yep. And they measure the success of comics on the Batman scale. Okay. Because Batman is always number one. Oh, really? I never knew that. And the popularity... The commercial popularity of comic books is compared to Batman by this number. Right. I and I assume everyone we're talking about is a fraction of 1% of Batman. Well, yeah. And okay. Well, it That's is. That's alternative. Here's my graphic storytellers, okay? Seth, Chris Ware, Raymond Briggs, what? Dylan Horrocks, who we t- discussed at the beginning of the show, Sammy Harkham, Kevin Hazenga, John Pers- Porcelino. I mean, there's a bunch more, but sure. I don't. I feel funny putting them up in the same category as, as Peter Bag. But let's get back to the list. So, so what, but I, I'm interested in figuring out what you mean by these categories. Like, the people you just listed, for people that are watching this show and have no idea what you're talking about, what does that mean? It means that they make stories, but they're most interested in the way the page looks. Exactly. So they're making a beautiful page in service of... And there's still a story there. 
mm-hmm. but there's no real vested interest in the story. It's like a, f- a foreign film. It's more about the, the pastoral background and maybe a bird going down and eating a little thing. The mise-en-scene. The mise-en-scene. Now, I started another category right. called Talented Artists, which is even different than that. That and sounds like it's not comics. Gary Painter, Al Panter. Columbia. Gary Panter, Al Columbia, Renee French. That's where Anders, I put Anders Nilsson. Like, let's pull up Anders Nilsson again, if we haven't done so already. I got another one for you. Comics is about an expectation of a reading experience. Uh-huh. If, you think you, if you're going to read a comic, you're going to read something. Right. Here's what Batman's doing. And then he did this. And then this happened. And then this turned his whole world upside down. And then he did this. So right. if you're thinking about that, and then you look at Rene French, you're still, your brain is still thinking about reading. Or, yeah. or you got Anders Nilsson up. But I don't, I don't end up with a story. I end up with just some shapes. It just looks like a nice collection of drawings. This, what it's is like your being category sketchbook. Talented artists. Okay, well. I'm changing that, though. Uh, I think that's a pretty weak category. You're right. You're right. You're right. That's a dumb title. Uh, uh, comic Experimental. Artists. Art comics, they call them. Oh, so there's already a category there. Art, art, comics. art comics. Art comics that do not pretend to tell you a story. Well, here's one that I have in art comics that isn't, I'm going to actually pull out right now. And her name is, she's like the, she's a unicorn. Her name is Laura Park. Yeah, she's great. And everyone I know who's into comics talks about her like Bigfoot or a leprechaun in hushed tones because she's so, she's perfect. And she's going to be hard to Google. So it's just do Laura Park comics. You'll probably find like poster art if you Google her. Yes. And I've spoken to her before and begged her. Actually, I once sent her an email and I said, I hereby command you to make more comics. Goodbye. And she's like, yeah, I'm busy. I was really sick for a while. She got some sort of horrible. She's been ill. She's, I don't think she's very kind to herself. She's a shut-in. She doesn't go out much. Okay. More comics, please. She's home working on stuff for money. Yeah, I guess. That one was good, too. Gigs. Look, any of these. See if you can make them. Oh, that one. Fuck. She's so good. I would say she's crumb level. She's got her own thing going on. Let's see some more. We can't seem to get her to make comics, but I, I would put her way up the list. I have also heard, and this is just rumors, basically, but more than one publisher has offered to compile her existing comics into a book that people could buy. Uh-huh. And she said yes to all of them and never gave anybody any books. Yeah, I've heard that too. I don't know how true that is, but I've heard that more than once. So that's... She's probably nuts. Maybe she wants to make more. Maybe she thinks it needs to be 300 pages or nothing. Uh, who knows? Yeah, well, then we'd She see can do more. whatever she wants. Okay. Oh, no one's denying that. But I'm but, just saying, it's funny when we're talking about all these guys. Like, I find Jeffrey Lewis is pretty similar. He's not as good as her, but he just fucking cranks him out. He likes, likes to make comics. And that's why I've got Jeffrey Lewis just below Chester Brown as number seventh best cartoonist in the world. And I'm putting a Duchamp next to his name because he seems more into... Jeff Lewis? Yeah. I, I disagree. He wants to be drawn something. Okay. Now, you know Jeff Lewis. As a person? Yeah. You went to art school with him. Jeff Lewis? Jeffrey Lewis, yeah. No, the musician? Oh, shit. You're talking about the, the wrong guy. Yeah, who's the guy who... Jeffrey Brown. Jeffrey Brown, sorry. Yeah. Different guy. Jeffrey Brown. You know Jeffrey Brown. Jeff Lewis 
is a guy who is a musician who also I've makes I've had comics, him on this show. He's been here. And he's real great, and he does a particular thing. He's good. I, I love him, and I love his autobio stuff. I don't like his fantasy stuff. I'm not putting him on the list. This is a pretty elite list. <laughs> he's got to do a little more homework before he makes it into the top whatever right here. I think here. he's underrated. 30. He is. His autobio stuff traveling around Europe was really fun to read. Yeah. But Jeffrey Brown, sorry, I have it number seven. Pretty generic names on these guys. Yeah. Well, they're hard to Google. Peter Cooper. Jeffrey Brown. John Ryan. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Brown. His most recent work is all licensed Star Wars work. Yep, I buy it for my kids all the time. Kids love it. It's a little less interesting to me than of his course. earlier innovative autobiographical comics. You got to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Now, he was another one when he first started and he was doing that relationship stuff. And I saw his weird skinny arms that looked like a tapeworm mm -hmm. and the fingers were just point, point, point. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you don't got it, dude. Don't quit your day job because this ain't going nowheres. And then he's just gotten better and better every year. And now he's a joy to read. I mean, it, he might go above Chester Brown if Chester Brown hadn't done a work of art like Louis Riel. Look at those arms. Yeah, sure. If, if I was his art teacher, I would have said, sorry, pal, some people can be fixed. <laughs> you don't have a hope in hell. If you were his art teacher, you would say, you're in a master's program for painting. Oh, right. Why the hell are you making this crap? Because that's what they did say to him. Oh, really? That's when he made his earliest comics, was in the context of a master's painting program oh, yes. at the number one painting program in America at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And he was totally alienated from that. Well, so it's got to be the most pretentious group of students in America. Yep. So he made comics in that context. At the thesis show, when all of the people in his department were showing their ambitious paintings, he showed the first printing of the book Clumsy, and it was just in a big pile. And there was like a mailbox that said $10. There was nobody there. You're supposed to put $10 in the mailbox and you can have a book. Oh, you can have, so it's a big pile of zines. So it kind of looked like a minimalist sculpture, actually. Oh, this nice. big pile of books, you know? How Duchampy of him. Yeah, he's Duchampy. Well, do, did you know him back then when you went to art school? I didn't meet him till later. I see. He was elusive. He didn't want to hang out with those people. The painters or the you people? What were you guys? What did you tell? I was in the video department. Oh, okay. Making weird art videos. And would he... So you, you guys didn't... Was he above you or below you? Anders Nilsson was around. He was printing comics at school. Oh, yeah? So I met him because I was printing stuff. Oh, I see. So you're talking about Anders now. Yeah, we were all in... And Paul Hornschmeyer. Oh, really? All those guys were at the Art Institute at the same time. I never heard of Paul Hornschmeyer. Yeah, you said you didn't like it. Can we dig that up? Paul Hornschmeyer. Horn Schmeyer. Mother Come Home. Okay. It's that weird. He's a great cartoonist. But he's, he's I mean, we're, we're, we're on a bunch of tangents at once. Well, I do have a list here that's. A but there is, backbone. for me, there, in, in my personal experience, being in Chicago at that moment in the time, in late 90s, early 2000s, there were these particular people that were around. Uh huh. And their work has a gestalt. There's a, there's a total meaning to it, you know? Chris Ware is part of that. Oh, yeah? He was the older guy. Right. He had already done it, you know. Well, he was coming back from superhero comics, I guess. Uh, can we do some more stuff? I feel like I might have slept on this dude. I may have slept on this nigga. Paul, Paul Hirschmeyer. Hornschmeyer. Hornschmeyer. You got it up? Yeah. I'm pretty sure you were in the store and you told me that you couldn't stand this stuff. Huh. His stuff is very designed. 
he's a designer. Okay. You know? Like Chris Ware? Kind of like that. He thinks about color choices a lot. Uh-huh. He thinks about page layout a lot. Is this his full-time gig? Or is he a designer who does it on the side for I don't fun? pretend to know what people do, you know? I, but he, he <laughs> approaches them like a designer would design a page. Okay, folks at home, we're putting Paul Hirschmeyer one more time. Hornschmeyer. See, this is why we have to be stricter about immigration. His name's on the screen there. There's too many weird words with the people we've been letting in since 1400. <laughs> Who's been letting who into what now? America, when it was British and Dutch, it was much easier <laughs> to learn names. Okay, so I'm putting Jeffrey Brown at number seven. Problems? I don't care what you do, man. Come on. Don't give up on this. Uh, how about David? I think these people are worthy of discussion. David and the Collier. ranking of them is just, just like less time to discuss. Do you them. think David Collier is uh, too formulaic, too much of a crumb ripoff to be in the top 10? I don't know him. So his personality, I shouldn't probably be on the table, but I see his comics and I think of someone that has a mental disorder. Yeah, I'm fine with that. It's, it's a great read. He seems fixated in a way that is... Let's pull up David Collier. C-O-L-L. I'm a real packaging person. I like packaging. His stuff is like packaging without the substance to me. Mm, that's interesting. Well, speaking of packaging, I bought that, whatever, $60 Chris Ware thing. Building stories? Yeah. I think mm -hmm. my wife got it for me for Christmas. Yeah. And, you know, you get it and you open it up and then there's this little comic in it and a big comic and then there's a poster and I'm sort of like... Did you read it? I did. And I, I read it and then I went sideways along the edge and then I opened that to page four and then I went down and then I went upside down and read this thing that you glue onto the side and then you spin it and then you fucking hang upside down. And I'm like, uh, I'm not eight. <laughs> I don't have time for this shit. Just tell me a story, please. And then when I finally do get the story, it's some poor bastard is missing a leg and is so lonely and cries at night and got dumped. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the package is wasting my time. Oh, often. I love it. Well, you're wrong. But you're right about David Traditionally, Collier Traditionally, comic books are issued in pamphlet format with staples in it. Yep. And then if you make enough of those... If you have enough readers and enough interest, then you compile that material into a book. Sold. Yep. That doesn't always happen. No. But it happened for Chris Ware. Acme Novelty Library serialized the story Jimmy Corrigan. Right. And comics that were pamphlets that were in wildly different formats. Some of them were small little books. Some of them were big books. All of them were pamphlets that had staples in them. And eventually that information was packaged in a book. Published oh, I by got Pantheon. You. I'm totally agree. I'm into that too. But I'm talking about when we hang on. Okay. Pantheon doesn't publish comic books. That's his publisher. Mm -hmm. They don't publish pamphlets. They don't do that. They're part of the book world, the old time book world. Right. So Chris Ware wants to make comic books because he's interested in that format, and he wants to make comic books that are in different formats because he wants the format to be the best expression of the ideas in that particular book. So he convinced Pantheon to publish 14 comic books in different formats simultaneously in a box. So that's a compromise is what it is. But, yeah, that's what it felt like. Well, it's a compromise between an artist who wants to get a project done 
and the person who would pay the bill. Right. This is not very... You're not seducing me here. I like it. But did you enjoy it? You might... It's cool to have. And who I like... Who says art needs to be enjoyed by anybody? Uh, art is about learning about yourself. Okay. So I... The, I have to take these bulky you don't packages like and get depressed to learn <laughs> that uh, amp lonely amputees bring me down. And that was a great experience. No, thanks. I'm good for death and suffering. I mean, I, it's not like I want everything to be peachy keen in every comic, but... I like the idea personally that it's a fun kit. You can put this kit together and when you're done, the thing that you've assembled is an idea, not a thing. Yeah, that's a good point. And the thing that you've assembled is a statement on, you know, the hor horrendous life we all have to plod through here. Jesus you know, Christ. That's what it is, Sounds man. like you'd be better off in Soviet Russia. <laughs> okay, I kicked David Collier way down the list at your behest. Um, now at number eight, I've got Art Spiegelman, who I have mixed feelings I about. I don't think you need to kick him down the list. I just think that this guy, you know, it's, it's a different late. type of expression. It's, it's, it's been done. All right. Now we've got eight, Art Spiegelman. How do you feel about him? He's kind of a D. Duchamp. Oh, yeah. To the nth degree. He, well, redesigned the packaging a million times over to get to the right result. It's right. Very cerebral thought process. Well, he's almost like a Guy Delisle in the sense that I hear so much about him, but I don't see that many comics. We got Mouse. We keep hearing about Mouse. But... Yeah, he's very uptight. What else have you done for me? He's done a lot. He's it's, been doing stage stuff recently. It's like that dude who, who uh, uh, Scott McCloud, mm -hmm. who did that book on understanding comics. Mm -hmm. That seems to be his only work. No, he has a new graphic novel called The Sculptor. I know, I know. That was what, it took us 12 years to get to that? It's a big book. And, and Art Spiegelman is as wide-ranged as Ivan Brunetti. But Ivor Benetti just seems to be having more fun with it. Mouse is what a mouse. Uh, Art Spiegelman seems like um, Scott McCloud in that he's so wrapped up in the art form and he's doing talks and seminars about comics and comics and comics. And you're like, shut up and draw, bitch. Well, let's find some more Art Spiegelmans. Spiegelman is interested in ideas and the best expression of those ideas. You know, he's done a lot of different things. Yeah, he's not in the top 10. Sorry, pal. I think that if he only ever did Mouse, it still would be in the top 10. Really? But he's also done all this other stuff, and the other stuff is great. I think to be in the top 10, you have to uh, be a great artist who's good at drawing and a great storyteller. Okay, this is comics only, though, right? Yeah. I guess I Art know, Spiegelman that, is both of those. That's your narrow thing, man. Art Spiegelman made wacky packages. You know what that is? Yeah, yeah. Well, those aren't comics, but who cares, man? Those changed my life. The fact that there were adults making fun of products that they would sell on TV, that yep. blew my mind. Sure, but that's not what we're here to discuss today. Well, that's part of Art Spiegelman. You could have saved a baby from a burning building. Uh, that's nice. That is part of Art Spiegelman's contribution to the culture, though. It's important. Sure. I'll tell you what, I'll put him back at eight because he, um, you're going for a top 10 here. No, well, we're, we're going long, but this could be the definitive guide for everything ever. So maybe it doesn't <laughs> matter. Do we have someone coming in after? Uh, six o'clock. Oh, good. We'll be here for hours. 
Uh, all right, I'm going to leave them there for now. Do you want to hear who I've got for number nine? Why don't you just do the whole list? Well, and we'll see the if there's any women morphing. on there. The list is morphing as we go, but okay, <laughs> I'll tell you the list. Okay, so so far at the top, we've got Peter Bag, Robert Crumb, Dan. Cl- no, let me do the numbers. One, Peter Bag, P. Two, Robert Crumb, P. Three, Dan Klaus, D. Four, Ivan Brunetti, D. Five, Joe Matt, D. Six, Chester Brown, P. Seven, Jeffrey Brown, P. Eight, Art Spiegelman, D. Nine, I had Peter Cooper. And now, you want to hear the rest of the whole hodgepodge? I guess so. Johnny Ryan, Gabriel Bell, Julie Doucet, David B., poor David Collier, James Kachalka, Kaz, Adrian Tomine, Archer Pruitt, Durf Backdurf, Dave Cooper, Linda Berry, Roz Chast, Debbie Dreschler, Laura Park, Dan Zetwatch, the oft-overlooked... Uh, Michael Dugan, Allison Bechdel, Charles Burns, Hernandez Brothers, Scott McLeod, Guy DeLille. We, we're cutting him out now. He's in journalists. Uh, Mike Dawson, Craig Thompson. We're going to be here till five in the morning. Bob Fingerman. Let's talk about some ladies. Ellen Forney, Jessica Abel, Julia Wirtz, Carol Tyler. Who's the best female cartoonist in the world? Let's make a chick list. I think it should be one list, and I think there should be women at the top of the list. There's, we, you've Why, always, just because of diversity? You, you want to push diversity? No. I, well, I mean, it's a diverse endeavor. Yeah, so women should be represented just based on gender. They should be higher up. No, they should be in the conversation because of the, their art that they make. Okay, well, that's why I have Gabrielle Bell at number 11. All right, let's talk about her. She comes out of self-publishing zine stuff, which I like personally, and so do you. Oh, I love her stuff. And Julie Doucet, I don't know, she seems like a better artist and her stuff's crazier and more exciting. But with Gabrielle Bell, you're reading the story and you forget that you're reading a story. You're so in it. In her mind, really. In her mind. And she, she's really good at taking her internal life and putting it into an artwork. Right. And she shows her vulnerability and she shows her confusion where she doesn't know, why am I at this party? What am I doing here? And then you feel like, yeah, Gabe, Gabby, what are we doing at this party? We should get out of here, you and me, person in this comic book. Like, you really get sucked into it. Whereas with Julie Doucet, you're like, I never, you know, fucked a guy like that before. Fucked a homeless man. Uh, <laughs> do you remember that one? Yeah. Uh, but it's fucking awesome to read about, but I'm not lost in the story. Look up Julie Doucet, D-O-U-C-E-T. I think she's extremely important. Julie? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody was doing stuff like that. And no one was getting it seen either. No. John and Quarterly introduced her to the world at the San Diego Comic-Con in the 80s. It was the 80s. And you might as well have landed from planet Mars. Because it's all... In the 80s at San Diego Comic-Con, wall-to-wall fat dudes looking for Batman comics. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's what people don't get. Comic-Con used to be strictly... Superhero nerds. Yeah. There was nothing else. Superhero comic nerds, comic books, not movies, not cosplay, yeah. not alternative comics. 40-year-old guys sure. who live at their mom's house. Yeah. Julie Dusay really changed the world. She really changed a lot just by being there, apart from the fact that the content is good. Yeah. The, sto- the stories are an autobio, Francophone, Montrealer, p- speaks barely any English. I tried to lay her once. Did not go well. She's not interested. She's not having it. 
No. You and every single one of those fat guys that lives at their mom's house. <laughs> she won't even deal with it at all anymore. This made her get away from comics. Oh, really? Horny yeah, guys. It's a bad reality, man. Well, I wasn't a creep about it. I just made it clear that we're both into comics. According and... to you, you weren't a creep. <laughs> I definitely was not a creep, okay? And I was getting a lot of pussy. I'm just saying there. that she was objectified just by virtue of sitting there having made a comic. Oh, that's the bum that fucked her. Speaking of objectified. Um, I just, I feel for her in that way. And I think that it actually sucks bad because she basically doesn't make that type of work anymore. And I think that this is part of the reason why. Really? Yeah. You're, you're, I can't are you one of these people her... that thinks uh, guys hitting on chicks is, is a terrible thing? I'm just trying to say that comics has been a male dominated situation forever and ever. Uh huh. And just the participation of women at all didn't seem like something that was even possible. Well, so they tend not to be as good at drawing. For the people that want to break that door down and be involved, it's it, to this day still more difficult. Ew. And I think that's bullshit. G Gabe's a feminist. This is like when you find I think a, what she suffered a pedophile. To, make her, uh, to make her art is pretty rough. Really? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't know. I was never at Comic-Con. I didn't see if big fat leches were like grabbing her ass. But if it's just that guys were really into her, like, who was that guy, the French guy, who did uh, uh, that Jim Carrey movie about dreams with everyone's got big hands? Gondry. Gondry. Michelle Gondry. Gondry was consumed with her. Yeah. And they did a book together that is terrible. Mm, yeah. Really bad. Um, is that my new New York diary? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I bought it at your store. Well, artists want people to be interested in their art. And if the person who walks up to the table is interested in your outfit, then you want to murder that person. And if that happens every single time, you don't make comics anymore because I have to go deal with these people again. Yeah, I guess so. Yes. I mean, she's not very attractive. It was cool that she had all that admiration. If I was ugly and had that many chicks wanting to bone me, I'd be <laughs> pretty happy. She definitely wasn't ugly, but she was like a... a anyway, her a comics six. are important. Look at them. Okay, um, also on my list, I have Linda Berry. Um, Possibly even more important than Julie. Well, she, the thing about Linda Berry is people who aren't into comics are into her. Yeah. Like my wife has all her comics. And she still says, uh, don't get wise, uh, peanut eyes are all, don't get wise, <laughs> bubble eyes are all, knock you down to peanut size. <laughs> Which I guess she said to her cousin, you know, her yeah, the cousins uh, and these were syndicated all over the country. These did really well. So with her, you kind of get into this Charles Schultz thing, where you go, "Are you esoteric enough to be on our elite list?" <laughs> and it's the same with with Roz Chast. I see them both as very similar, and they look their drawings look similar. Can you bring up Roz Chast? C H A S T. There's a homemade visionary quality there. Yeah. Like I'm not trying to draw like anybody. This is just what my drawing looks like. Right. And it almost, it's so cluttered. It's almost like hoarder drawing. Yeah. Like there's little dots in the corners for no reason. R-O-Z-C-H-A-S-T. Uh, should we put them on the list though? They seem so wildly different than Gabriel Bell and Julie Doucet. Why don't we have to talk about women in pairs? Because let's you said let's Linda focus Bear. on women. I'm skipping down all the women and these happen to be in pairs. I've got Debbie Dreschler next. Linda Berry to me is part of the sort of alternative newspaper revolution, which is now over. Right. But when there were free weekly alternative newspapers in the towns and cities of America, they'd have a little comics in there. Yeah. 
you know what? I'm pulling Linda Berry and Roz Chast out, and I'm starting a new category called newspaper. What, what did you, how did you just phrase it? Uh, I don't know. Free weekly alternative newspapers? Yeah, free weekly cartoonists. So Matt Groening's part of that. He can't draw. Well, he might be a Duchampian then. <laughs> okay, free weekly cartoonist, new category. I feel a lot better about this because it looks so weird having those two in that list. Um, the other chicks I have here are um, one of the most disturbing comics ever is uh, Daddy's Little Girl. Oh, yeah. By um, Debbie Dreschler. I think that was a straight-up comic book. It was a straight-up comic book. I thought we were going to do weeklies, but... Oh, no, no, okay, I'm, le- I'm leaving newspaper. I'm done newspaper. Okay. I'm still sticking... Now I'm just going through all my chicks. Okay. So Debbie Dreschler did a comic. You can see the dark one there, the darkest panel uh, in the second row. Yeah. So she did an autobiographical comic about her dad fucking her in oh, the man. mouth when she was a child. Hard to read. Hard to read. Yeah. I almost, I'm glad I read it, but I would like to just wash it out now that I've read it. Yeah. Because it's fucking horrible. I interviewed her about it, actually, and she said that it split the family. Um, half of them are saying that it's a fake memory that a psychiatrist well, put in her mind. Her I sister, wonder what half of the family that is. What? I wonder what half of the family said that. Uh, the dad and the mom are fuck you. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it would be the dad. Pretty so. sure. And this, yeah, the dad definitely thinks he's innocent. But the sister, and she started to think, yeah, maybe I am making this up. But then the sister would remember the late night visits from dad mm. and how she would close her eyes and just hope it would end. Because I don't think she, he molested the sister. It was just her. Oh, God. Well, this is what I call the Charles Bukowski factor, which is, does it matter if it happened? No. We're talking about art here. Uh, I'm sure it matters to that guy. Yeah, but you cannot think about that when you're looking at art. But it's clearly portrayed as an autobiographical comic. And in interviews, she reiterates that. I mean, with this kind of shit, it's like Lena Dunham with the molesting her, her sister. If it's fiction, you got to write fiction pretty big on the front. You have to? Yes. When we're talking about rape and crime? I guess in the context of an accusation. Well, that's what this is. Look. Good night, little darling. I don't think she ever pursued that legally, though. Okay, but she still... He, he All I'm a- trying to say is that you have to treat it as a work of fiction unless you're dealing with, like, a legal proceeding. Because it's presented as fiction. No, well, the law says if you write a novel and it comes across as true and you have your dad fucking you in it or anyone doing anything, they can sue you for ruining the reputation. This, I guess if you use I the mean, real name... did you think her dad fucked her when you read this? I did. Yeah. Well, that's not great for him if it's not true. And I, I spoke to her. She said it is true. I believe her. Right. But uh, if that's just art, that's some fucked up art. The reason that I would prefer to talk about it as an artwork is because we're not talking about the artwork at all right now. We're okay. talking about these other issues. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, it's an interesting book because it, it goes over, I think, a lot of years of different drawings. And you can see her art get a lot better. It's kind of crude at the beginning. You can expect that it was painful for her to make this artwork. Yeah. So you just kind of think about that when you're looking at these drawings and all that mark making. Yeah. Well, this actually, this page brings up an interesting point that overall, just like women tend not to be as funny as men, women can't really draw as well as men for the most part. I mean, look at that butt. That is a crash generalization. Yeah. And I mean, with Laura Park, 
Uh, I think those drawings are great. No, they're crude. They're, I like looking at them, but they're not technically talented. They just, she spent a lot of time on them. And that's her earlier stuff. She's much better now. But, you know, Gabriel Bell, Julie Doucet, um, Laura Park are incredible. But for the most part, if we're looking at billions of people, women can't draw as well as you men. You don't think that's a great drawing? I love that. Yeah, I think it's, it's a very great drawing. She practiced and practiced and got almost as good as a dude. Um, that's rough. You know who, what about Renee French? She, does she belong in this list at all? She's in art comics. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that that's... I think categories are kind of boring because then you just put that person in that little corner of your brain and they stay there and that's where they live. It's more exciting to live in a world where all these people kind of communicate with each other. Well, I'm not Stalin. I will not be enforcing this at the border. You're allowed <laughs> to put Julie Doucet at the very top if you want. But I just think it's, it's fun like... What's the last great Stones single? It wasn't the Harlem Shuffle. Probably Waiting on a Friend. Miss You. See, I feel like that's a quantifiable thing. If you think it's the Harlem Shuffle, you're wrong. <laughs> and if you think it's their 2010 hit, you have mental illness. Uh, you know who I wanted to talk about here? Because we're running out of time. We didn't even take the fucking foreskin of this list. Uh, Adrian Tomine? Tomine. Tomine. Tomina? He did a book called Measurements. Okay, I never saw it. Oh, really? No. I thought I... It's got a ruler on the side. Does that ring a bell? You got a pick? I don't know what that is. Well, maybe is I got a, the name wrong. Is that a zine? Measuring Up. It was a comic, but it was about his small Asian cock. Oh, yeah. And it was no Debbie Dreschler, My Dad Raped Me. But it was brutally honest and incredibly embarrassing. At one point in the book, which has a ruler along the edge. Yeah, yeah. Um, at one point in the book, she, he says, why isn't this working out? And she goes, I don't want to tell you because I don't think you'd be able to handle it. And you're reading it going, this guy got dumped because his cock is too small. Now, this isn't a Peter Bag funny romp about, I got a really tiny wiener. Right. It's about a guy whose cock doesn't measure up, and it's written by an Asian dude. It's fucking brave. Yeah. I think of him as the mumblecore cartoonist. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, when he started out, everyone just said he's the Dan Klaus ripoff guy, and no one saw him as his own guy. It was like David Collier and Robert Well, the Crumb. stories change it, though. What do his, you mean the stories? Oh, yeah, the stories so are many different. So many stories are very different. Yeah, they're very the, hipster- Kind of lonely. It's like the crafting an awkward conversation, you know? Yeah. Well, don't you feel like he's come into his own now? Like, no one would compare him to Dan Klaus today. He's possibly more famous. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's got a much younger appeal. Yeah. And he's not bald. Um, all right. Well, we didn't, uh, we didn't make any headway here. Oh, <laughs> I got one I want to talk about, and I will admit this is totally subjective. Can you pull up Bob Fingerman? What about him? Now, you sell him at your store, so I, yeah. I, I know you're not going to say what you really feel. But doesn't, don't his drawings make your skin crawl? Oh, they do. Oh, so you don't like his art? No, I like making my skin crawl. 
They look like caricatures that people do in Times Square for money. And the way everything is perfect, like when he draws boots and we have to look at every lace, it just, Mark Bell and I used to go through them and torture ourselves. Yeah. With every page, <laughs> just going, oh, look at his shoes and the socks are all rolled up. See if you can find some. He loves drawing Dr. Martens. See, to me, he's like, you ever look at Terry LeBan? Yeah. No one ever talks about him anymore. But similar stories. They're like funny and depressing. It's like how hard it is to live in the city. Yeah, really old, like Giuliani, New York, pre-Giuliani kind of New York vibes. Yeah, has that feeling. Junkies, some black crackhead outside. I just like reading about that. That's why I like his comics. But the actual drawing makes you hurl. It's, you know, you have to assume that it's intentional, right? No. He wants he's you to a, hurl. He's, he's meant to be a superhero guy, I think. And he just, he's into fat chicks. He probably grew up into Marvel. It comes from Marvel style. Yeah, look at that. Ugh. Ew, he's eating out his girlfriend. That's such a fucking beta thing to draw, too. You know what I don't like about this is the text. Because it's computerized? Yeah, I don't like... See how there's just too much space between the text and the bubble? Yeah. I don't like that. That's an auto-spacing, I type this on a computer text function. Yeah, Dave Cooper taught me that a long time ago. He goes, the first thing I do when I get a comic is I look at two different S's. And if they look exactly the same, I'm just going... Ugh. I didn't put him. I, he That's is a on little this list. overly particular. We didn't get to him, and I could be totally exaggerating what he said to me, but Dave Cooper and Mark Bell are both incredible artists, and when they do comics, they do it great. When Mark Bell does Autobio, it's fucking heaven. But he's So all the Canadian stuff you like and all the other people who are not from Canada. Hey, I got Archer <laughs> Pruitt up here. And okay, just before we go, one last totally uh, underrated guy no one ever talks about. Uh, oh, actually two. Durf Backdurf. People talk about him a lot. Really? Oh, yeah. He's big now. So was it the Jeffrey Dahmer thing that got yeah, him? Yeah, My Friend Dahmer was huge. Oh, that's great. So yeah, he, that's a great book, too. He did an autobio book about, because he grew up next to Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, they ate at the same lunch table in high school. <laughs> so that's a book we highly recommend. Yeah. But another guy who, who okay, so I'm wrong about Durf Backdurf not getting credit, but a guy who I never see get credit is um, Dan, what is it, Zet, Zetwich? Dan Zetwalk from St. Louis. Dan Zetwalk. Yeah. Let's pull him up. He'll be telling a story. He's amazing. He'll be doing it on yellow paper with white gouache and just two different colored pens. And then he'll break off into some sort of tangent where he explains the shape of the machine that he's talking about and how it works. He, it's just so fucking fun because the story doesn't lose fuel. The, the story... The story doesn't uh, lose energy, but you just stop and you see a cross section of the car he's in, and you go and how deeper it works. into mechanics and stuff like that. It's What's like a popular one? mechanics comic. What's the one about the tower? Bird's Eye Bristow. Can you look up Bird's Eye Bristow? Very underrated graphic novel. It's so frustrating that that didn't take off. Yeah. What Some happened? of these things die in the marketplace for who knows what reason. Well, when I look up, like if you go to Wikipedia and you look up alternative cartoonists, you'll have all these people who aren't really cartoonists. They'll do one panel gags or something, and he's not there. And he was, he's been doing things. You showed me that thing the other day. Like, look at that masterpiece. Yellow paper with fucking white gouache for the highlights. Yeah, he's, he's great. And pensacrans. But you showed me a zine where he had, what was that story where he went into an old factory and there was time cards? Oh, the Telltales thing. Yeah. Yeah, boy, that's great. 
He made a little zine. Dan Zetwalk has made lots of self-published, amazing, beautifully crafted objects that there's 50 of them that exist, and that's it. I thought there would eventually be a book of that material compiled, which would be great. But even if it was compiled, you'd still miss something of it because the Teletales zine or mini comic is about his father working for the phone company and they go back to the phone company to, which is in ruins. They don't use that building anymore. Right. And, uh, but the phone company stuff is still in the building and they basically just get in there and walk around. And in the course of the story, his dad's pointing at stuff and showing him stuff and telling him how the switchboard worked and things like that. And you get another one of these great diagrams and, um, they find a box of punch cards that had to be used in the operation of the switchboard. And you realize as you're reading this little book that the cover of the book is literally one of the cards themselves. Like he used the card for yes. each object. So that's a sculpture, man. You're, you know, you realize that it, the story. You're holding it in your hand. It kind of has a transformative moment to it. He's really smart in that way. Yeah, well, I think he's genuinely interested and that's so much of the interesting people, interesting artists that I enjoy, I'll realize I'm reading a fan's work. This is someone who isn't, you know, sitting back and just barfing out their talent. They're actually invested in it. Yeah. A lot of the people we've discussed come out of that tradition of handcrafting a little book at home. Right. And you make 50 copies and your friends see it, maybe. Yeah. And, and half of your friends don't even read lucky, that thing. if you're there is a net of five bucks. You know, you spend a hundred bucks, you make 105. Internet culture has changed this formula a little bit because you make zero bucks. Right. And 5,000 people see it. Right. If it's good. Yeah. Do you think that comics are... But you don't get an object like that Dan Zetwalk comic on the, you know? No. Do, you can't do you really think, do that. Uh, from running your store here, we're, we're almost out of time, but do you think comics are getting more popular with young people, alternative comics, or is it fading? New wave of interest for different reasons. Okay. And is it is autobio as popular or is it more fantasy stuff? Well, depends on if we're really talking about comics. There's lots of imagery on the internet. No, I'm talking about your store, people who come in. Printed comics. Yes. It lives. There's more and more of it. And what's more popular? What's the most popular kind of genre within that alternative comics world right now? I don't know about genre, but the crafting of these objects has gotten better. Oh, well, that's good news. So you have dematerialized content on the internet. And then you have finely crafted printed things that are worth keeping. Right. That's the cultural divide now. That has changed in the past five years. Really? Sure. Well, don't say totally interesting shit right at the very end of the show. Just winding up, man. Is that good for you that, that the culture is changing? Is, it, is your net increasing? I'm trying to be involved in that change helping make nicely printed things or spotlight those things. So you off, what you're saying is offset printing in an independent level is getting more popular again. Offset printing or risograph printing or, you know, whatever, you know, screen printing, object making, you know, book objects. Homemade DIY. The comments. art side of it, you know. Oh, good. That, I've seen a spike in that for sure. More kids are getting into that. Maybe they're sick of looking at their damn computer all day long and they want to make something. Yes. I think that actually occurs, you know. Well, that's great news. And speaking of which, Gabe puts out his own comic through the store called Smoke Signal. We've got Al Jaffe doing this cover. We've got Chris Ware doing this cover. These things are free. These things are free at the store. Bunch of weird comics in there. Uh, I've been in one. Yeah. S Smoke that comic Signal was pretty here. weird, man. 
It was pretty weird. <laughs> and uh, who did this cover? Tim Lane. Their Personal favorite. Fruit. He's also out of St. Louis. Very under-recognized guy. Where is your store located? It's in Brooklyn. It's in Williamsburg. It's on Metropolitan. 540 Metropolitan Avenue in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. By the Kellogg's. Tiny Diner. little store full of weird books. Open seven days a week? Yeah, man. What are the hours? Noon to nine. Noon to nine. Yeah. You hear that, everybody? Noon Come on over there. Go there. And make sure you, some weird books. if you are there, you take something from the top seven here. Peter Bag, Robert Crumb, Dan Klaus, Joe Matt, Chester Brown, Jeffrey Brown, and Art Spiegelman. Yeah, bring your list and we can argue about that. I'm going to put up this list on uh, <laughs> Daily Motion and on Street Carnage, and I will complete it, and it's about 70 people. Okay? Thanks for coming, folks.